1: So, the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
0: You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count for your career, for your family, for your life.
1: Well, oh, well, well, Noel, old friend, here we are on ridiculous History, about to uh, about to dive into a topic that I find endlessly fascinating.
2: Yeah, we're going to dive into a sea hole. <laughs> what is a sea hole, my a- friend? Occult, a cult, a cult, a cult hole. Mm-hmm. Yes,
1: or a cave hole.
2: Right, yeah, when I say a sea hole, it's more of a sea rectangle, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. because it's a, it's a cave, a man-made cave with a rectangular door, that was one of the first ever uh, homes to uh, America's like original
1: doomsday cult. My name is Ben. Uh, this is Ridiculous History, as I think I just mentioned. And, of course, we are joined, as always, with our super producer, Casey Pegram. So, Noel, the rumors are true. We're talking about a legitimate doomsday cult. And, you know... In another show that you and I do together, we run into cults on a on a like bi-monthly basis.
2: Semi-regular. Yeah. But a ridiculous history, man. We don't
1: deal in rumors. What's the brass tax, my man? Yes, the brass tacks take us to a place very familiar with everyone here known as Philadelphia. See, the cave of Kelpius is tucked away in a remote section of the modern day Fairmont Park in philadelphia but it's it's very old you could you could walk past it and not really notice the history now unless you went inside right
2: that's right in fact a lot of places that describe it say uh, even if you know where you're going you're Probably a lot less likely to find it rather than just stumble upon it, because mm-hmm. it is in like a heavily wooded kind of Blair Witch kind of environment, right? Uh, it's along the banks of the Wissahickon Creek, mm-hmm. um, and in 1694, a, a a very smart fellow, a scholar, something of a of a New Age mystic type, right, mm-hmm. by the name of, of Johannes Kelpius. He brought forty of his followers, all learned men, mm-hmm. uh, from their home in Transylvania to the newly settled Germantown, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. because they were escaping religious persecution. Because they were, they
1: weren't playing by the book, no, the good book. Yeah, yeah, they had their own playbook spiritually, and they believed that the end was nigh. Uh, Johannes Kelpius was born Johann Kelp. In Transylvania, as you said, in 1667.
2: Is that nominative determinism? Do you think his family, like, we're were maritime folk?
1: I wonder. That's a good question. You know, also what I noticed is, given the timeline, this is way before Bram Stoker made Transylvania a scary place. That's true. Isn't that weird? It's going to come up in the next episode we're
2: going to do, I think, as
1: well. Oh, It is. (laughs) It is. Stay tuned. Folks.
2: Spoiler <laughs> alert. But yeah, so he brought these forty. Um, they they hit. They uh, I think he himself had. Well you, well, you were starting his chronology. Um, he was he was born. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. And then he was educated.
1: Hmm. Yeah, he completed his education at Bavaria's University of Altdorf, and at the time it was a very respected highfalutin institution there in Europe. Uh, and his name change occurred not because of vanity so much as because the common practice for scholars at this day and age was to Latinize your name. So, Kelp became Kelpius. Would would mine become Brownius? That's interesting. Bolinius? Bolinius, Brownius, Pegramius, Pegramius? Pegrumius. Pegrumius. (laughs) That sounds good to me. (laughs) So, while he's at university, he becomes... Attracted to acquainted with, enamored of a religious movement known as pietism, this was a reaction against the Orthodox Lutheranism of the time, and then it later expanded to include beliefs that you know, as you said with his followers, beliefs that were considered heretical, strange, forbidden knowledge, possibly occult and as he became more and more immersed in this world, he also began to gather different people around him. He was a follower of a guy named Johann Jacob Zimmerman, and Zimmerman formed a small group of like-minded people called the Chapter of Perfection.
2: It's true, and actually I saw him described as such, as a noted German mathematician, astronomer, and defrocked Lutheran minister. And you know <laughs> what happens when they defrock you, right? Right, right. That's like when you pull all the medals off the general's chest, you know,
1: Yeah. and send him with his tail between his legs. You are no longer allowed to practice the yeah. spiritual beliefs, right? Give me your badge and gun, detective. Mm. Exactly. That That's a good thing. way to put yeah. it. And this group, led by Zimmerman, that Kelpius is a member of, he, he, right, right around this time, he's maybe 20 years old, and most of the people in the group are around his age. And the group believed that there was a new spiritual age imminent, Uh, their version of the 1,000-year idea of Christ returning and that they had to prepare for this. And I I love that you mentioned Zimmerman being an astronomer because that was uh, the quantitative basis for a lot of his arguments. That's right. And
2: I I just want to say, too, Zimmerman was kind of the one who initially, unless I'm reading this incorrectly, initially put together this expedition. You know, it was like a six-month boat trip. Yeah, from yeah, from from there, uh, from Europe to Germantown or Philadelphia area. Um, but he passed away before it could take off. Right. So Kelpius kind of became the new de facto leader of the group. Yeah,
1: the Neo Zimmerman. Right. Right. Yeah, this is an interesting part of the story that I could not. I don't know if you found anything, but I, I couldn't solve one mystery about this. Estimates say that around 1692, this group, the Chapter of Perfection received an offer of free land in Pennsylvania, in Germantown where you mentioned, and a free boat ride over, but they received it anonymously.
2: Now, I had read somewhere that it was from the governor of of Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. Who was trying to, you know, in- encourage new settlers to come in and offers of religious tolerance was a big part of early... Uh, Pennsylvania settlements, right oh, okay,
1: that makes a lot of M- sense maybe it
2: wasn't the governor though, but I know there definitely was a an effort from the powers that be in this particular part of the uh, colonies to attract uh, more religiously
1: free thinking types mm-hmm. and to populate the land with Europeans of course too. yeah, I think you must be spot on you know i I love the tantalizing hint of an anonymous person but I Bet you are 100% correct that it was the governing structure of the time. But as you said, Zimmerman, right around the time they're about to leave for what would become the United States, Zimmerman dies in August of 1693. Kelpius becomes the commander. He leads them, he leads his group of 40 people to a ridge there above the Wissahickon Gorge. That's such a fun word to say, too. Uh, and there, along the 40th parallel, Kelpius builds a 40-foot square tabernacle because in their philosophy and their understanding, 40 is like the best number. It's the most important magical number. I did just find uh, it was William Penn who apparently invited the group.
2: and William Penn was the governor mm-hmm. uh, and I think uh, kind of governed Pennsylvania like its own Like its own entire... Autonomous thing. Autonomous thing.
1: thing. Yeah, that's right. Um, So, Ben, do you know what millennialism is? Millennialism, from what I understand, is the belief that the world will expire at a significant date, either, either completely end... Or some great change will occur. Is that correct?
2: That is big time correct. And that is what these folks were all about. Um, you may have seen the Fox television show kind of a bit of an X-Files ripoff called Millennium. But mm-hmm. it was all about like the end times and the end of days and stuff. But there's a couple of different interpretations of millennialism. And I'm taking this from the New World Encyclopedia. Um, one of them is this notion that Christ will come back to Earth and establish himself an entire new kingdom. Kingdom And rule for 1000 years, at which point will come the reckoning, you mm-hmm. know, or some kind of calling of those that deserve to stick around and those that, that have to go. Then there's another version of it where the second coming occurs with an immediate culling. Of the wicked through some sort of cataclysmic event to, you know, trigger a new world order kind of thing. But whichever one they believed in, the fact is there was a very specific part of the Bible that was a foundation of this belief system in general. And it's obviously the book of Revelations. Um, And there is a particular passage that gave this group one of their many uh, monikers. They had a handful. Um, And the passage is called The Woman and the Dragon. And it's from Revelations 12 through 16. I'm just going to read you a little bit of it. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head skip a little bit. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So it's this idea of Hell on Earth, kind of. Mm-hmm. And what was what were some of the names of their groups, starting with the one that was taken from this passage that they so held so
1: dear? They were collectively known by several names. The weirdest one was the Woman of the Wilderness. Forty guys calling themselves... The woman of the wilderness.
2: It wasn't even like the women, the collective yeah. <laughs> of the woman of the wilderness, the society of the, <laughs> it's the, just the woman.
1: Yeah, that's the weird, that's the weird thing about it is history doesn't seem to completely agree. Some people tell you they were just collectively called the woman in the wilderness. And then you'll find a, a couple of other places where they say they were the society of the woman of the wilderness, mm-hmm. which makes more sense.
2: But my favorite though is that they were the hermits of the ridge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's like a, the name of a D party you know
1: mm-hmm. or uh the name of the name of like a good old folksy prairie home companion story that's true
2: yeah. the old hermit of the ridge because the place we're talking about today the cave of kelpius folks in philadelphia area just call it the hermit's cave
1: yeah yep and the legend has it that Kelpius um, lived and meditated in this cave built in the hillside of the ravine, and that it was, you'll hear some people say that it was just an old spring house where occasionally Kelpius or some other person would spend the night.
2: Yeah, and then he would return to his summer house, Mm -hmm. you know, in warmer, no, I'm kidding, (laughs) a spring house like a well house or something, like some sort of uh, enclosure Mm -hmm. where there would be a well and a source of fresh water, right? Yeah,
1: Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So while they established themselves in what became known as Hermit's Glen or the Hermit's Cave in the Hermit's Glen, uh, they also made an impression on the town. There's a nearby road you can find today, we believe, called Hermit Lane. So this is established. It's not very well known, I'd say, outside of Philadelphia, but it has left a physical trace on the on the city.
2: That's right, and there's actually a fantastic article from Atlas Obscura called mm-hmm. Cave of Kelpius, where America's first doomsday cult Awaited the End of the World, and there's a little um, sidebar on it that has the uh, coordinates of the cave because it's not exactly something you can Google map to right. because, again, like we said, you kind of just have to wander around and find it yourself, but it is technically on Hermit Lane.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's You'll have a hard time getting mail sent there. But, exactly. <laughs> but you can find it with the coordinates, and— the space, from what we understand, the meeting space of the hermits or the society or the just the woman in the wilder of the wilderness included the following things. They had a rudimentary observatory where the monks would practice astronomy. And this is thought to be the first observatory built in the new world, the quote unquote new world.
2: Yeah, and astronomy was a huge deal for these folks. And there's a there's a sense that it was because they were on the lookout for, I'm gonna call them extraterrestrials, but I almost wanna say like heavenly, like. Angels or something? Signs like, and wonders. Say, signs and wonders, because yeah. they really did believe that, you know, like that passage, that maybe the the, the devils were going to come flying down from the sky. Mm-hmm. What's that What's that line in, uh, I think it's Batman v Superman, where he says, turns out the devils don't come from below, they come from above. Yeah, uh, that's Kelpius, right. you know, he, he seemed to have that in mind when he was looking. And it was a very, uh, for the time, advanced
1: uh, telescope, right, Ben? Absolutely, yeah. They were able to have... Um, a very clear view, because we, ha- we have to remember it's very easy for us nowadays as a species to see a mystical belief that one group or person has and take that to mean that we should dismiss their scientific beliefs. It's not the case. These things exist hand in hand, and to these people, they were not contradictory, sort of the same way that Isaac Newton had some really out there esoteric beliefs.
2: Yeah, or that Rudyard Kipling was kind of a racist.
1: So, the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I
0: ever been.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you?
0: Here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben.
1: Our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avala Waterways has redefined cruising in so many
0: and
1: more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com.
3: Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker. The interesting thing,
2: too, about Kelpius yeah. is that we don't know— uh, we don't have a lot of primary sources mm-hmm. on him. So there's a lot of conjecture. And when you go to the cave of Kelpius, it's, there's no artifacts left behind. There's no furniture. It's just out there. There is a marker right. that was put there by uh, a little society. We mm-hmm. know a bit about their philosophy, don't we, Ben? The yeah. Rosicrucian, the Order of the Rosicrucians.
1: That's or right. the Rose Cross. That's right, Noel. The Order of the Rosy Cross built a marker— marker for this and you know if you went back in the 40s you would see some stuff in the cave like you'd see a chimney that was there for a while
2: I think it got um, vandalized or damaged beyond repair and so they removed it but um, I saw this cool video that it was cool for a minute and then it started to lean a little heavily into some not true stuff but it did have a really cool walkthrough of the cave and I don't know if this was added later I mean it's certainly possible but there's there's a cross and then an upside-down cross right next to it. And the idea being that, like, you know, one is the sign of Christ, the other is the sign of the devil, and then throughout the space, there are some other kind of strange coded messages. But mm-hmm. one thing we do know um, is is real and not just, you know, passersby mm-hmm. having a laugh is this Rosicrucian marker that identifies Kelpius as being the first Rosicrucian in the New World.
1: Yeah, it's, it's legit, and the... Uh... Chronology works out. The thing about these semi-secret orders, these mysterious esoteric groups, is that they can often just appoint themselves in, you know, appoint authority to themselves. But according to the tradition, he's not only the first Rosicrucian; he's the first Rosicrucian master. Right? Uh, there's there's some neat articles about this. Like um, you can find a, a lot of local. Pennsylvania history places, I, I really enjoyed the explorepahistory.com story about the marker. And you can read both the modern marker that is in place that tells you about the Kelpius community. That's the, that's the newer one. That's right. Yep. That's the newer mm-hmm. one. And then you can see the, the other older stuff that's also spread around there. It's a shame about the vandalism. You know what I mean? That Absolutely. Absolutely. That really broke my heart. But we forgot to, we forgot to mention, okay, so they're millennials. <laughs> yeah, uh, okay. Same difference. <laughs> there we go. And uh, they had a very specific time frame for this last judgment, and it was 1694, the year that they all got together in this area, right? Or when they really doubled down. But that time came and went. See, that's the problem with a lot of doomsday cults. They'll predict something, and then that moment will pass, and the world will spin on as it as it will, and then they have to find a new way to understand this. So, according to the Chestnut Hill local, with the title "The Rapture That Never Came," the story of the Hermits of the Wissahickon. According to them, when sixteen ninety four came and went without a last judgment, Kelpius and the society said, you know what, we're going to look toward the year 1700. Certainly, the advent of this new century will bring about the end of mankind and the return of Jesus Christ. I mean, you got to hope, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Hope for something better, right? And the year arrived, uh, there was not, from their perspective, a return of a Messiah. And then they started to, I I don't know, the, the members began to get tired of these continual claims.
2: Well, have you heard of the Church of the Subgenius, Ben? Yes. It's sort of a joke cult kind of. uh, Mm. I mean— Yes, I'm, I'm going I'm to leave it at that. It's just sort of a joke call where they they worship supposedly this, like, 50s clip art, like, dad looking mm-hmm. head with a pipe called J, Reverend J.R. Bob Dobbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the the fundamental concept of um, subgenius is slack. But a big part of them is they have this thing called X Day where supposedly these aliens are going to come and do very much a thing that I think the, uh, the Order of the Hermits or whatever you want to call them were hoping for. But they got the date wrong because they looked at it upside down. The big dummies, you know, and <laughs> yeah. that's just sort of like a little bit of thumbing of the nose at a lot of these death cults where they always get something a little off and mm-hmm. then, you know, oh, it'll be next time. Just keep keep stick with us, you know?
1: And again, in in the defense of this group, of Kelpius' community. They were not super aggressive, crazy, violent, aggro people. Like you said, the community even kind of
2: enjoyed their presence. They were very gentle types, it would seem.
1: Yeah, it would seem so. And then as they began to, as enthusiasm at least, began to taper off, they saw the end of the cult becoming more and more immediate. Because Kelpius, it it turns out that living in caves with, uh, (laughs) with, crushing low temperatures, especially in the winter months, turns out it's not good for you, Even, no matter how well-informed you are or no matter how talented of an astronomer you are.
2: no, well, we also find that a lot of times people that are, like, really driven and obsessed with the quest for knowledge sometimes don't take the best care of their physical uh, vessels because they're so busy doing all the maths and stuff, you know, that they yeah. just,
1: who's got time to eat or, mm-hmm. you know... Put on a blanket. And Kelpius became ill with tuberculosis. It's around 1705. He had to go away from the tabernacle area and move into the home of a former member mm-hmm. who had already left the organization in Germantown proper. And he lived. Uh, he lived for about three more years. I
2: believe he was uh, early 40s when he passed away. Seemed seemed quite uh, mm-hmm. quite unfortunate and young.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He. Never really recovered from that bout of tuberculosis and he died in 1708. His followers returned. They took his body to the tabernacle. They buried him in the garden and they had a ceremony where they released a dove as they were lowering him into the ground. The society itself survived for about another 10 years or so, but without the same drive or enthusiasm. It was at some point, it got down to just six hardcore believers. But here we end some of the facts and we get to some of the real juicy stuff, the legends. Oh, man, this is fun yeah. stuff. This is
2: much more in the realm of our other program, uh, Stuff They Don't Want You to Know. Mm-hmm. But it is just uh, yeah, so, so so much fun. Great. So great. So one of Kelpius' most trusted confidants and followers was a guy by the name of Geisler. Mm-hmm. Was his first name? Daniel. Daniel Geisler. And he was kind of trying to adhere to the, the mystical guru's last wishes as he was on his deathbed,
1: right? hmm Because uh, Kelpius gave Geisler a very particular artifact. It was a box, but it was locked.
2: Yeah, I like to refer to it as, as the mystery box. I think of uh, that thing in uh, Mulholland Drive, you know, mm-hmm. where they pull out the box and the camera zooms in and then everything gets real
0: weird.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like
2: that, you know? Um, no one knows what's in the box, but there's a fantastic article from The Voice, uh, the Philly Voice, in fact, called Did Wissahick and Hermit Have Fabled Philosopher's Stone? Huh. Yeah.
1: Ben, remind us, what's the Philosopher's Stone? Ah, uh, yes, well in the co- the most common way to put it without making it a crazy metaphor for something is that it's a legendary substance that you hear a lot about in alchemical writings that can turn things into other things it can mm. transmute substances so you'll hear stuff like turning lead into gold for instance right that sounds cool yeah it sounds like a great stone to have right it may not be a physical stone in all the stories sometimes it's just the substance And sometimes it's thought to be more of a symbol uh, of a a, a mystical term for the great work. Uh, In every effort by alchemists to discover this substance Mm -hmm. or create it or reproduce it, those efforts were collectively known as the great work. The great work. So the idea that a mystic like Kelpius would possess this philosopher's stone is amazing and astonishing to anybody who was still searching for it. Now we have to keep in mind, you know, this is the early, early 18th century. So belief in alchemy is still, you know, much more widespread than it is in 2018, I would say.
2: So Kelpius is on his deathbed um, in the throes of the dreaded tuberculosis. This was the early 1700s, I think 1708. And his confidant there, uh, Giesler, Geisler, is, 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 I'm I'm just painting a picture here, kneeling by his bedside and mm-hmm. saying, Master, Master, what can I do for you to ease your suffering? Anything. This is totally how it went down. And uh, to that, Kelpius says, well, there is one thing, my son. Come closer. You know how they always do that when they're right. on the deathbed and they come closer? I don't have this <laughs> strength. Come closer. I want you to take hence this box, my arcanum, and I want you to throw it in the river. The the Shulkill
4: River? How would Mm.
1: you say that? Uh, Shulkill. Shulkill. Yeah. I want
2: you to throw it in the the watery depths of the Shulkill. And, you know, to this, um, our our boy, Giesler. He said, sure. Yeah. Well of course and anything then, and, and then promptly <laughs> didn't. Di- didn't didn't do it.
1: And the 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 great part of that legend is um when when he comes back and he's like all done boss uh Kelpius he says
2: come closer. Yeah
1: he ra- he raises himself up and He expends what little energy he has to point at him and say, "Daniel, thou hast not done as I bid thee; nor hast thou cast the casket into the river, but hast hidden it near the shore." And then he was like, "Ooh, you
2: got me! (laughs) You got me, boss." I was going to try to pick that lock, and
1: And so now he's convinced that his master, yeah, no, he's definitely, he's
2: definitely convinced, and so he, 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 you know, he finally does it. And what a disappointment, though. he, He, this guy was. Yeah. What what kind of follow are you if you can't just follow simple instructions of a dying mystic?
1: It's a dying wish. Seriously, man. So so what happens Noel, when he actually does throw it away? Well, according to this account, which was given by
2: uh Geisler to a uh a guy by the name of um Henry Mullenberg, mm-hmm. who uh then the, the Mullenberg College in Allentown, Pennsylvania um was named after and also he I think he's he started the North American Lutheran Church, or he was a big force in yeah. establishing the North American Lutheran Church. This is again from this Philly Voice article. It's a very
3: uh,
2: fabulous account mm-hmm. because he says, and this is this is all you know written down, that as soon as he threw it in the river, it exploded.
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, like, is it so? Help Help me get this straight. Did it explode? Was it a flash of lightning? Did it come from the box? That's what it almost sounds like.
2: Yeah, it's it's it's, it's a little weird. Um, it it it's 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 written as though it produced some kind of alchemical reaction, some sort of elemental. That's the word I'm looking for. Reaction, because it's described as uh, producing quote producing
1: flashes of lightning and peals of thunder it made me think when we first were reading about this of Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Remember where they find somebody ignores the advice and they open the ark and people melt and Mm -hmm. there's all this strange, at the time, amazing special effects? Yeah,
2: it's it's also been um, forever memorialized in an amazing gif that you can drop whenever someone says something crazy. You throw throw down the one of the Nazis' face melting off and his Uh, eyes bugging out.
1: There we go. this account we should also mention. I'm glad you brought up Henry Mullenberg because Geisler didn't tell the pastor about this immediately after, right? It was a number of years. Yeah, yeah,
2: for sure. Um, but this this uh, Philly voice article does a really good job of pointing out how this sounds a whole lot more like a kind of literary device rather mm. than an actual account, you know? Mm. They compare it to um King Arthur. Uh, asking his follower to throw Excalibur into the lake, and then the Lady of the Lake reaches aloft and grabs Excalibur. You know what I mean? Like they would have known about those stories. Yeah, it, they were it, it's, well read. Yeah, but it's like it's it's very odd that that he would tell this uh very specific and quite incredible account. That uh, for to what end? Mm-hmm. That to help spread the the mythos of of, of this uh, this mystic? You know?
1: Yeah, that's that's. The interesting question, because obviously they would have, they were quite educated for the time. They were aware of folklore. They would understand the connections. Oh, and I can't believe we forgot the fun fact there. These guys are famous for another reason, because uh Christopher Witt in 1705 painted Kelpius, and it's believed to be the oldest oil painting in the U.S. Oh, I didn't catch that. It has nothing to do with magic or allegations no, no. thereof. No, art art is its own kind of magic and there its own go. reward. That's awesome. That's a good way to look at it. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you?
0: Here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben. Our charming
1: cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avala Waterways has redefined cruising in so many And more of everything. Limited time special offers wait at AvalonWaterways.com.
3: Snag a job is where America goes to hire, with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over six million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position
1: may be fictitious. It may be solely a legend.
2: Yeah, and this this speculation is coming from a uh, historian from the Historical Society of Pennsylvania by the name of Dan Roth, who was interviewed for this piece uh, on phillyvoice.com that was written by John Cop, who's a staff writer for Philly Voice. So where does that leave us today? Um, oh, there, I do have one other thing. I, I did see this video that I was talking about earlier mm-hmm. that it's kind of cool for a for a point, and then it really starts to get into, like, and he was totally looking for aliens. And Ooh. Ben Franklin liked it was believed in aliens too. And uh, Ben Franklin supposedly got possession of all of the relics and remaining um, materials that were ever in this cave. Uh. But I found no mention of that anywhere, like of yeah. uh, like any connection between Ben Franklin, other than the fact that the um, American Philosophical Society, which was founded by Ben Franklin, mm-hmm. does have two. Books of Kelpius is in, in their library. One of them is the Diarium of Magister Johannes Kelpius, mm-hmm. um, and that is uh, from 1917, reprinted, so it's not even an original. And then they also have the Journal of Johannes Kelpius, Magister of the Hermits on the Ridge in mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, 1694-1708. So those two, I think, are the only surviving um, actual accounts from Kelpius himself. Yeah, a lot of there, there maybe was some other correspondence or something like that, but it was not a whole lot. None of his actual philosophy is mm-hmm. codified in any kind of like expansive works. You know? Right,
1: right. It's those; those are the two books that we're aware of. There is one other I thought fascinating paranormal story. If we want to continue getting, oh yeah, right, man, yeah. Okay, so we said that after his death. The brotherhood, the society dwindles down. At one point, there are just six, let's call them hardcore monks, zealots, ardent believers. And they were led by a guy named Conrad Mathai. Mathai. Let's go with that. Yeah, like, ah, Mathai. There we go. Perfect. (laughs) But uh, eventually, the group starts breaking down further and further and further. And that guy we mentioned, Christopher Witt, who moved to Germantown. He also quit the... uh, the group, but he continued a lot of his hobbies that he had from his time in the group. And he did pretty well. By seventeen, eighteen, he was a wealthy man. He had bought over hundred and twenty acres of land. But he was always under suspicion in town of being get this null, a hexenmeister. That's <laughs>
2: is it like a witchy dude? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: so people thought he was maybe using his magic his magical abilities or his esoteric wisdom to get ahead in the secular world. And they also continue to provide services of a paranormal or spiritual type to the community. This guy I just mentioned, Conrad Mathai, cast horoscopes. He performed exorcisms. He said he could travel outside of his own body. There was a book called The Pietist of Provincial Pennsylvania, Written Ooh, you yeah, like I that alliteration, yeah, don't you? Right? Yes. Uh, written by a guy named Julius Sache, who says the following about Conrad. A captain's wife allegedly asked Conrad in 1740 when he could expect her husband's ship to return. So the guy goes into his chamber... Lays down in a trance for an hour. Then he wakes up, he comes back in, and he tells this lady her husband is at a London coffee house and he's preparing to set sail for the New World. And when the captain returns, you know, several months later, whatever, he meets Conrad. And then the first thing he says, again, according to this story, is that he was in a London coffee house and saw the dude, Conrad himself, staring at him. Hmm. And he said he remembered the encounter because apparently the old man, Conrad, had come up and yelled to him about not writing to his wife. That's got to be total malarkey. Rude. But what a great story. Yeah, Yeah, that's a good one. Good way to cap this one off. You got anything else? Uh, You know what? I think we can call it a—oh, no. Do you hear that? Really? Oh, man. It's been so long. We had such a streak going. It's time. Jonathan Gentleman. Strickland. <laughs> John... It's been
4: so long.
1: <laughs> Jonathan Strickland, the Quister. Quister. You've yeah. been working on that laugh, huh? really you?
4: I know. I've been celebrating, gentlemen. I've been missing well, you. you. you know, it's weird. Have you?
2: It's like the way you miss a, a, a like a sharp pain mm, in, your, in your side. Right, where
4: well, well, suddenly you wake up one morning and you think, huh, that's different. Yeah. It's not mm-hmm. I kind of miss it now. Like uh, that's very deal. sweet of you. Day after no. the
1: chiropractor kind of mm. longing.
4: Well, just consider me your spinal adjustment of love. Here I am.
1: <laughs> All right.
4: To give you yet another perplexing scenario whereupon you must decide whether or not it is truth or fiction within the span of 30 minutes. You know, mm-hmm. I put
2: forth a, a perplexing scenario or mm. a notion that My theory is that you, we haven't seen you for so long because you're going around and messing with other podcasts that we don't know about. Is that true?
4: I I can neither confirm nor deny. Have you been podcast cheating on us, man? I, listen, Ben, listen, listen. Hey now. Hey. Listen, Ben, things are complicated right now. Check my Facebook status.
1: Oh, man.
4: (laughs) It's just, you never know when someone needs to be, you know, shown up by wow. having to prove their ability I and have their de-
1: proposed strengths. I have defended you on this show. Listen,
4: Ben. Listen. Listen. Uh, no. <laughs> Mortgages don't pay themselves, Ben. All, all right. right. You so, know what? We,
2: Quister caves don't come cheap. The it's most, all it's all the most
4: forgiven. cringeworthy segment in all of <laughs> podcasting yet again. And, of course, here we have uh, recently celebrated the 4th of July.
1: That is true. That is
2: true. I think, Uh, in fact, today is the 5th of July. Mm -hmm. It is, in fact, as we record this, this, the 5th of July. Mm -hmm. And so
4: the question today, our scenario today, has to do with uh, uh, someone who was very much connected to the Declaration of Independence. Uh, Mm. And so you, you will get your scenario. The timer will start at three minutes. You will, of course, have to... Ask questions of me, and I always, I always confuse
2: that one with the Constitution. Is that going to be a problem?
4: We, we will see. Okay. Okay. But in order, in order to ask a question uh-huh. this time, I always give you an arbitrary rule. Yes. This time, if you wish to ask a question of me, you must first say, "Sit down, John." <laughs> All right. It's a reference to a musical called 1776. Go watch it, Noel. All right. <laughs> uh, All right. I might, I, here's I might your sc- learn a thing or two. Here's yeah. your scenario. Prepare yourself and start the timer when I am done. Hang Here on.
1: Let go. me warm up because as longtime listeners know, I have to get a running start to jump and hit the, cl- hit the second hand right. of this grandfather clock we spent so much money on. Yeah,
4: if you could get the touch screen on that grandfather clock activated and just unlock it now so that you can... Type in the number. Here we go. We're
1: working live, man.
4: Along with Dr. Lyman Hall and George Walton, Button Gwinnett signed the Declaration of Independence representing the colony of Georgia. He would return to Georgia to serve as president. He also maintained a rivalry with Lachlan McIntosh, a Scotsman who served in the American Army as a Brigadier General, which was a position that Gwinnett had coveted. Gwinnett commanded McIntosh to conduct an invasion of East Florida during the Revolution. The invasion was a terrible failure. The two men blamed one another for the fiasco, and it all resulted in a duel. However, on the morning the duel was to take place in southern Georgia, near the border of Florida. As Button Gwinnett walked his way to Lachlan McIntosh, he was bitten by a venomous snake, suspected by historians to be a coral snake. And while the bite itself might not have been fatal, the medical attention that was given to him certainly was, and he died of infection a week and a half later. Start the clock.
1: All right, we are start, give it a running start. (sighs) Boom, okay. Sit down, John.
4: Yes, Mr. Bolin.
1: Could you tell us again where this duel allegedly took place? Southern Georgia, In not Southern too far from Georgia. the border of Florida. Okay.
4: Near what is now known as Fort McIntosh, as uh, as it mm. turns out.
1: And Button Gwinnett, so we know there's a Gwinnett County. We know about Button. I mean, I remember him from Georgia history as mm. a boy. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know. And uh, McIntosh is a is a common name for institutions here in georgia i always confuse button gwinnett with oglethorpe though
2: just like i do the declaration of independence with the constitution i am a really bad historian
1: you know <laughs> we're not bad no we're ridiculous oh that's right that's okay. our whole that's thing that's kind That's kind. so uh, uh yeah one thing i don't remember from georgia history is hearing anything about a snake bitten Button right gwinnett. also coral snakes that's standing out to me i am very tempted to just go false yeah you want to just well, well uh, do we sit see? down, John.
4: Here we go. Uh, yes, is the Mil-
2: is the kicker that he died from poor medical? Like we we are we? I've, I've, it's been so long. Are we trying to discern if like any detail of the story is true? If the whole thing is not true? If if he, if you're saying he died from poor medical attention? But then there was a detail in there that wasn't any, true. In,
4: any one detail there could make this statement
2: that's false. That's, that is how that works. Yeah. It? So,
4: so it it is either all true, or all false, or there's some falsehood in it. But if there's just some falsehood in it, it a, is still inherently it false. It is inherently false. All
1: okay. So um, all or nothing. So it's all I'm, or nothing. I'm, I'm
2: locking in false, babies. All right. Me personally, I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm, okay. I need you
1: to let's yeah yeah let's let's count it down and make it official, bro. Mm-hmm. Three, three, two, one. one, false! Gentlemen, you have defeated me
4: finally! Yes! I believe now I'm only three ahead. Okay. Well, you know, one day at a time, man. Yeah, yeah.
1: Hey, Casey, can you play some uh, victory music? Make it make it a dirge, Casey.
4: A dirge. So here are, here are the actual facts.
1: Yucks. Yes, there was a duel.
4: There was a duel. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Button Gwinnett uh, did wish to be brigadier general at the American Revolutionary War. Lachlan McIntosh, his political rival, got that. And then when he returned to Georgia, he was first elected speaker of the House of Georgia, mm-hmm. as well as uh, commander in chief of the of the Georgia forces. And he did, in fact order McIntosh to invade East Florida, a British colony. Uh Uh-huh. It did not go well because McIntosh did not have the resources needed. He returned to Georgia, and then he proceeded to badmouth Button Gwinnett in front of the Georgia Assembly. You don't go badmouthing Button in front of his own assembly, man. A duel was arranged. McIntosh totally shot Button Gwinnett. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. And Button Gwinnett died about three days later. On May 19th, 1777, a signer of the Declaration of Independence shot by a soldier who served in the Revolutionary Army.
1: So, no uh, no, coral no coral snakes. No coral snakes. He was snakes not, at not,
4: all. not bitten by a snake. He was merely shot by a Scotsman. Shot
2: by a Scotsman. <laughs>
4: just as fatal as it turns out. <laughs> no, no, just, I'm, I'm interested. Maybe I missed this. How did the Scotsman end up fighting for the American cause? He was uh, he was given the position of Brigadier General. So they, they were both up for consideration for Brigadier General. I they were see. rivals. I and see. Button I Gwinnett see. was I passed see. over. Uh, Button Gwinnett's closest ally was Dr. Lyman Hall. And as you mentioned, we have a Gwinnett County. We also have a Hall County.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. And that
4: is where I am from, Hall County.
1: Okay. Oh, getting to know you. Is that it's, where
4: your lair is? In Hall County? Yeah. No. <laughs> Heavens no. Are you, I'm an old Fourth Ward man now. <laughs>
1: Well, Jonathan, what a tremendous pleasure to have finally started winning some of these, right? Noel, I know,
2: but I'm I'm not I'm not getting enough remorse from you. I'm not se- sensing. I'm still three ahead. Well, man. I know, but I almost feel like you, you threw us a little bit of a softball with this one. And while I appreciate it, mm. I also somewhat
4: resent it. Oh, then I'll 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 come at you extra hard next time. Yeah
1: so what will happen next ridiculous historians will the tension continue to simmer will we get closer and closer to an even score or fall further into the hole there's only one way to find out well there are several but there's one way we would like you to find out yeah you know listen to the show
4: (laughs) (laughs) oh you know subscribe to 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 my twitter feed you'll find out
1: about Uh, it yeah hey what's this other show I'm not at liberty to say no what's the other show I I have no idea Wow, oh, you guys are making me so paranoid. <laughs>
2: no, that's fine. That's part of the whole interaction here is paranoia. But <laughs> seriously, thank you for coming again, Jonathan Strickland, the uh, devious Quister. We appreciate it slash uh, resent it heavily
4: mm, um, thanks for helping
2: us learn stuff man mm, that's love true you, love you too and thank you folks for tuning into the show we hope you'll join us next time where we talk about a bunch of uh, states that never were uh that, that have a lot of fun names and stories and uh, i'll just just listen to the episode it'll be good in the meantime you can write to us at ridiculous at howstuffworks.com you can check us out on the typical social media channels. Um, Our preferred method of communication with uh, our Ridiculous Historian community is through our Facebook group of that very name, Ridiculous Historians. And we actually just came out with an episode that featured some stuff from that very community. And we had a really good time doing it, and we'll probably do it again. So check that out and um, drop some memes or stories or questions or ideas on there. You might hear it in an
1: episode. (laughs) Yes, and you may well hear from us from Casey Noel and myself. A big thanks, of course, as always to super producer Casey Pegram. Big thanks to Alex Williams who composed the track. You know what? Big thanks to everybody except Jonathan. <laughs> thanks to Christopher Hasiotis. Jonathan, you got you're making a stink face. Yeah,
4: um, I love you too know
1: oh guys I'm, I'm feeling the the emanations of affection here. This, this is and awesome. Enmity. Yeah. is
2: is you you feeling.
1: Well, Well, the course of true love never did run smooth. Lee
0: Top throw 2 is like no other course 2 420 foot vertical speedways 3 launches all right let's talk strategy Copy that driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from zero to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach zero G's in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple launch strata coaster.
2: Get your tickets at CedarPoint.com. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations trusted influencers and the insights and
0: data you need to grow iheartmedia is your access company go to iheartresults.com for more